Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. Again, now is the time to work on your business so that you don't just survive this thing, but you come out the other side with systems in place that will make your business what I call bulletproof, and that is more powerful and more profitable than ever before. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends, and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. What can save this industry from absolute destruction? I'm betting on math and practical business fundamentals. That's why I've invited Roger Bodwin to chat on this episode. Roger's been preaching these ideals for years. He's more than a teacher. He's an owner and an operator as well. And rather than giving us advice, today he walks us through the strategy he's using to turn the pandemic into a windfall. Whether you realize it or not, you're a mentor of mine. Um, Not only are you a successful restaurateur that owned one of the top ski bars and restaurants uh, for 20 years, um, but you then successfully pivoted into restaurant services, into thought leadership. You are a, a renaissance man of the hospitality industry. And I don't say that to be flattering. I say that because it really is the truth. I, I've followed your career. I followed it closely. I listened to the podcast, The Whole Nine Yards. I am a big fan. And my first question to lead off is, who are your mentors? Who are you a big fan of? You know, it's so interesting because I never actually had a mentor that I worked with. You know, everything I've achieved really came from, well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. Let's go back and say that I I got something really powerful from both of my parents. They both had a tremendous work ethic. They both believed that anything was possible in life as long as you believed in yourself and you followed your dreams and passions. And they encouraged me to do that. And other than that, it's like I made a whole series of life choices and they, was, they were always there to support me, but I wouldn't say that they mentored me through any particular you know, discipline. My mother was very strong financially. I just picked that up naturally from her. She went to business school. I went to business school. You know, My father uh, came out of the Korean War as a Marine Corps veteran and he took over his father's uh, trucking company with his best friend, who was my uncle, his brother, who came out of the U.S. Navy in World War II. And the two of them built a business. And I wouldn't call them entrepreneurs. They, they literally took over, you know, my grandfather's business. But those were my inspirations. And that's where the work ethic came from. So all of those people inspired me and gave me some sort of a burning passion inside to follow my dreams And things didn't happen overnight. You know, I'm sort of a late bloomer. You know, I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I probably had 10 different majors in college, like lots of people do. And I just picked random jobs and ended up here and none of them really worked out. And they weren't really anything I was passionate about. So I went back to graduate school and really developed a passion and an interest for business. 
And then a series of things just happened to me where I saw opportunity. And that's literally what led to the restaurant career I've had. Not that I would have ever wanted to or guessed I would ever be in the restaurant industry. It sort of found me because I found that opportunity and I've been working it for two decades plus now. Well, and, and you've worked many sides of the industry, right? You, you have serviced communities as a restaurateur, and then you've also serviced mm-hmm. the industry as, as a coach, as a thought leader, as a mentor. Um, yes. What do you get more satisfaction from? Well, you know, it's great because, yes, we do have online products and, and people do buy our, our products and they do, you know, they have results from those products, which is satisfying in and of itself. But I do personally coach and I do, you know, host a weekly podcast. And I really love just meeting and connecting with like-minded people in this industry, whether I can help them in some way. I think the podcast does a service in that it communicates best practices, whether we interview, I mean, I interviewed yourself and I was really inspired by your story, you know, and, and how you moved from the South to Los Angeles and you created, you know, your own hospitality industry company. And, you know, we talked a lot about best practices. So I love independent operators like yourself that had a dream, had a passion. They followed that dream. They put their own stamp on this industry. There's so much to be learned from people like that. And then there's people that, you know, either by virtue of running technology companies that specialize in hospitality or they're marketing gurus and professionals, there's something that can be learned from any one of those episodes. So it's very satisfying for me to share this information on a free basis with the industry. And if it helps one operator, then that is immensely satisfying. I also love working one-on-one with uh, different operators, helping them put systems in place in their businesses because, you know, without a system, you're literally running an operation. No, I should say the operation is running you if you don't have systems. You're tied to a business. You, you know, you're missing your kids grow up and their college educations and all that kind of stuff, soccer games, whatever it is, because you're tied to your property and you haven't built what I call the dream team staff that has your back so that you can go out and have an exit strategy, whether you want to sell your restaurant, whether you want to franchise it, whether you want to open new locations or you want to do a different business or just spend time with family and friends. You can't do that without the systems. So all those things are really satisfying to me, Joshua. Now, I, I have a question specifically targeted towards the systems that you've created. Was yeah. that something you created from the outset or were you doing things poorly and created the systems to remedy the situation? Well, that's a great question because, again, I, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that the opportunity really found me. I saw an opportunity where, you know, I moved to a community that had a tremendous amount of winter visitors, but the infrastructure hadn't kept up with the growth of this ski resort in a town in Maine that I ended up in 20-something years ago. I saw an opportunity, and it was inspired by a restaurant and a bar that I had been to in Switzerland numerous times that I enjoyed as a customer, where people from all over the world got together, and it was a unifying situation where you were next to Japanese and Koreans and Chinese and English and Germans and Americans and everybody in one place at once where drinking songs would break out in 10 different languages and people were just in that scene enjoying each other's company enjoying the scene of this place and it so inspired me that when I moved to the ski resort in Maine and it needed everything it needed you know retail shops it needed restaurants condominiums like nothing was there yet there's this huge influx of visitors and the businesses that were there 
I can honestly say were disappointing to me because they had no level of sophistication. They didn't have any level of customer service. They succeeded in spite of themselves and everybody had to line out the door just because people needed goods and services and, and, you know, and entertainment. And it, it's changed a lot since then, but I put, you know, I was one to put an early stamp on this place to come up with a sophisticated idea completely based on that place in Switzerland. And that's really where it began for me. You know, so therein lies the opportunity. I didn't have the experience. So when you ask the question about where the systems came from, I wanted to give myself every advantage because I, I realized quickly that it had to be a seasonal operation. We could not open year round. We did not have any margin for error. You know, I was self-financed um, to start before I ultimately got a loan on this thing. And once I took on the loans, then I had debt service and all this other sort of stuff. And if the sea, if it rained or if it didn't snow or if the customers didn't come, you know, if it went like this, it's like I had to make money. I had to control my costs, maximize my profits. I, I needed to deliver amazing guest service experiences so that I could capture the market. And the systems are what allowed me to do that. So I literally learned the business piece by piece. I worked on the business when I first took it over, or when I first started it, I should say, I worked on it because I knew that someday I wasn't going to work in it. I wanted to grow it and expand it. And I wanted to have the big picture and I wanted to train a staff so that they'd have my back. And those were just some of the systems. Right on. Well, That's what and, I did. Yeah. Well, and, and so much of those systems are, are discussed and those ideas are discussed on your podcast. Yes. And the podcast is yours, but the idea wasn't. It was your wife's, right? To do the podcast. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, well, that's my limitation. You know, I'd like to humbly say that technology is where I've always been limited. I, I've never had an interest in technology. Technology is very useful in some cases. You know, it can be a blessing and a curse, but it has revolutionized the world, but I've never really had an interest in it. So when I created a system to train my staff or to control costs or to maximize profits in my restaurant, it literally existed you know, not in the digital world, it existed in, you know, three ring binders and paper and pencil spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff. And that's, I had value there. It worked for me. I was able to, you know, achieve amazing things with that system. But it was my wife that said, you know, you have so much knowledge in your head. You have so much experience. If we were to turn this into, you know, an online company, it would have global potential. And she was absolutely right about that. So not, not to say that we're a tremendously successful company. We haven't reached critical mass yet. We're still working on growing this company, but we do have customers in 20 plus countries around the world that have found our systems, that listen to our podcast. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, Joshua, and here's me being humble again, it's like when I started this six, uh, six years ago, I didn't know the difference between a webinar and a podcast. She's like, oh, we got to do webinars. You got to do podcasts. I'm like, what's that? I didn't even know what it was. I didn't listen to them. She's a student of that sort of thing. And she's done our website and she's now our technical vice president. So she does all that stuff. And I'm just a content guy. You know, I ran restaurants for 20 plus years and now I network and now I'm a podcast host and I've learned from so many other people. But technology is definitely not my strong suit. <laughs> well, and you're someone that was in the industry, right? Actively yeah. as an owner and an operator. And mm -hmm. then you pivoted to industry services. You got into public speaking, the whole nine yards. Right, right. And then you decided to get back into active operations. Can you walk me through that, that decision-making process? Absolutely. So I've had somewhat of an identity crisis in the last several years because I built 
uh, a very successful restaurant company and my flagship restaurant was, you know, it was ridiculously successful. My costs were really low. My profits were really high. It was a lot of fun. I had 52 people that I could literally count on any single person. And it, again, didn't happen overnight. I built the Dream Team staff over time, and then there was no turnover. It's like longevity was the name of the game. People that worked with me 15 years, 18 years, 20 years. It was amazing, right? So they had my back. And then all of a sudden, you know, my wife and I decided that maybe it was time to sell and get out and go do something different, meaning let's build this restaurant Rockstar's company, but let's change our life 360 degrees. Let's, let's sell our house. Let's sell our businesses. Let's get an RV and travel the country and end up somewhere, not knowing where we'd end up because we can literally run this company from anywhere. And we did that. And it was a very large struggle for me to leave behind something I created from ground zero from scratch, ran for 20 years that was literally my identity. You know, I was the president of the Chamber of Commerce in this town of Maine, and I was very actively involved with the hospitality industry in the state of Maine. I served two terms on the board of directors of the Trade Association. You know, I did all this stuff. And, you know, it was kind of this big fish in a small pond, but everybody knew me and everyone was friends. And I had, you know, I had pride and I had respect and all those things. And then all of a sudden, one day the switch went off and I didn't own it anymore. And now it's like, okay, I've got to reinvent myself. And now I have to do, you know, this company called Restaurant Rockstars and build that from the ground up. And we're still doing that. So did I ever think I'd be in the business again? No, I didn't. You know, there were many reasons why I made the decision to leave. Um, but there were also reasons that I regretted. And all of a sudden I was looking for an investment uh, about 10 months ago. And again, I was not looking at restaurants. I was looking at multi-unit apartment buildings and other commercial spaces. And what can I do here? And what can we do there? And there was this restaurant for sale and it was old tired property. And it had two, it was a multi-use property in that it had two apartments over it, but it was a cafe and a lunch place. And it was kind of like your grandma's breakfast place. You know, it's got an old fashioned lunch counter and it's got old fashioned booths. And a lot of it was really, really unappealing and ugly and it had no curb appeal. And it's the kind of place I passed by every day for like months and never looked at it twice. And then all of a sudden here it is for sale. And, you know, we started to think, but the the crowning gem was there's the New England barn on the property that I saw potential. We saw potential in and it could be an amazing dining concept with an amazing bar. And the history of this property as the hub of the community in a, in a you know, it's not a hugely populated area, but it literally was a general store, a post office, an IGA supermarket, numerous restaurants. And, you know, it was a gathering spot in the center of this village in the community we live in. And there it is. So the story gets interesting in that, okay, we, we took a deep dive, we did due diligence and everything was wrong. Like building inspectors came in and septic inspectors came in and the, the owner was, you know, she was just burned out. She had literally sold this property twice, Joshua. She had held paper on it twice. She had to take it back twice when the, the buyers ran it into the ground twice. And then she had to rebuild the business twice over the course of 15 years. There was nothing left to this lady. She just wanted out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the due diligence uncovered everything. This is broken and that needs fixing. And this equipment and the septic tanks haven't been pumped in six years and I'm going on and on. But so obviously there was a negotiation because she wanted a high price tag on this property. It wasn't worth that. Several, you know, hundreds of thousands were negotiated off the price. We settled on a price. And then you really don't know what you're getting until you actually buy and operate something. We bought the place. 
and then it needed even far beyond what the inspections turned up in terms of investments, improvements, capital. The health inspectors came in and they said, that floor is rotten because, you know, the ice maker's been leaking water on it for the last 10 years and someone's going to fall through the floor into the basement. And it just goes on and on. So pre-COVID, we're talking August, September, October, November, December, we're operating this business and we're getting a feel for the cash flows and we're getting a feel for the customers and we're realizing it needs this improvement and that. And so we started investing fairly heavily in the property to improve it and market it and figure out what the business model should be. And it's interesting in that this, this space, the cafe and lunch business, had a dining room that sat empty, you know, five days a week. It was only busy on Saturdays and Sundays, and it was used as overflow on those two days. But the rest of the week, no, it's just this empty space. It's valuable real estate. Not So we were like, okay, let's turn this into a grab and go sort of a market situation where you have to walk through the market to get to the cafe and people are going to impulsively buy fresh baked goods because this place is known for its muffins and its cinnamon buns and all these incredible baked goods. And then we can do chicken pot pies to go. And then we're going to get a beer and a wine off premise license so we can sell six packs of beer and bottles of wine. And so we did all that. And that really paved the way for COVID because when COVID hit, suddenly everything gets shut down. But when you've got to pivot and you can't run a sit-down inside place anymore, what else can you do but do the curbside delivery, the pickup, the, you know, the takeout, and the grab-and-go market? So to make a long story short, COVID has been a blessing in disguise. We obviously applied for government relief funds. We received you know, several of those, and it's paving the way for us to transform 85% of this space into this big bakery, grab-and-go market concept, upscale, not your grandmother's breakfast and lunch place anymore, and then transform the, the, the cafe. The breakfast counter is still cool. You know, it's like a 50s soda fountain look in there. That's still really cool. Get some high top tables, not those ugly boots. You know, some subway tiles on the back wall, new tin ceilings, and just make it look really grooving and then expand the offerings. And then we also pivoted to a lunch and dinner menu, which was far more profitable. We're selling lobster rolls and we're selling risotto and sirloin and all sorts of really great stuff. And the market has responded, although COVID is still hitting us pretty hard in that, you know, it hasn't bounced back yet. Even though we're selling more profitable items, our sales are still 60% of what they were pre-COVID. And we're going to ramp that up slowly. But we're in the middle of this transformation of this business that, like I said, was the hub of a community. And now it's going to be spectacular when we get to full build out. But nobody knows where this COVID thing is going to end. So many states are having a resurgence right now. So no one's got the crystal ball. We're just riding the wave and playing the game. Yeah, but, but there's so much to be said for your pliability. Like time and time again, I, I've listened to your show. I, I, I've you know heavily researched your career path. And you're one of those guys that takes the temperature of the room before making a decision. And, and you, you're not, you might love your ideas, but you're not so in love with them that you, you won't change them based on market conditions. And I think that there's a lot to learn from that because um, they, though I certainly look up to you as a restaurateur, as a businessman, that, that's, that's really where your concepts flourish. We were forced to close March 15th when much of the country's restaurants and hospitality um, operations had to close. And we closed for, I don't know, eight weeks or so. And at that time, we were bleeding money. And now we're deciding, okay, when is the right time to reopen? Or when should we wait to reopen? 
And, and interestingly, the PPP rules said, once you get this money, you need to start spending this money. And it was originally designed to keep your staff on payroll, whether you were open or not, just to make sure that you had a staff. And we thought, okay, as long as we're going to do this, you know, grab and go thing and curbside pickup, we might as well start now. So we were fortunate to get those funds and we were able to rebuild our cash reserves a little bit because let's face it, the rent, our mortgage interest was covered, our utilities was covered and our payroll was covered based on the amount we got in the PPP. So that allowed us to almost print money in what we were selling. And then, you know, even though payroll costs were high, we had to limit service, limit staff, all that sort of thing. Then we received what they call the EIDL, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. And that was a sizable amount of money that is literally paving the way for us to do this massive market transformation. Because we bought the place, we had to put a sizable down payment on it a year ago when we bought it. And then we invested heavily in the improvements before the COVID thing hit. So, you know, you can't just go back to your bank and say, guess what? We've already borrowed half a million bucks to buy this place and we put a hundred grand into fixing it. Now we need more money because COVID hit and we're bleeding money and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, thankfully we've gotten these loans, but our banker has been very supportive. Obviously we went through them to get the PPP. We negotiated a line of credit with them. So we've got some cash that's allowing us to do some pretty big things, even though now we're, we're not we're literally working off of working capital. The place isn't making money just based on being 60% down in sales. But once it gets back there, it'll be so much greater than what it was pre-COVID when it was just a breakfast cafe. Well, and, and how did you define success January 1st, 2020? And how do you define success mm. for the balance of the year? Well, Interestingly, I mentioned to you that you don't really know what you've got until you get into a place and you start operating it. And again, it was never our intention to buy a mom and pop place and to work there and to run it. It was our intention to buy the place, invest in it, improve it, work on it, and then hire the staff to hire, you know, have your back so that you can have the big picture and all that kind of stuff. So you operated for a couple of months, so we very quickly realized. It's, it's super busy in the summertime. It's on a major street, a major tourist route, and it makes money in the summer. But then as soon as November, December, January, February hit, all of a sudden there's many weeks where we're not even hitting break even in the winter. So the model was, you know, the model is somewhat flawed in that part of the year it makes money, part of the year it didn't make money. And we're thinking, I didn't buy a place that's just going to be that. That's where we got the idea. Okay, if we turn this into a market and we're suddenly ringing bigger numbers where someone's not sitting at a table for 45 minutes to an hour drinking coffee and having, you know, a couple of eggs and a piece of toast. You're literally selling 20 bucks, 30 bucks, a six pack of beer, a bottle of wine, six pack of muffins, and they're in and out and in and out. I mean, that's such a better model, right? So COVID was a good thing for us and running the place for several months and getting a feel for the cash flow and who the customer was. What I didn't mention is when we bought the place, I guess one of the prime decision makers despite all the problems we saw was the potential of this community in that there was tremendous amounts of tracts of land that used to be farmland in this community that was sold off to developers by the original farmers. And now those developers are putting up subdivisions all around us. So within a nine iron shot of this property, there's probably 60 or 75 new homes being built. Wow. Some people are just moving in, you know, young families versus the older clientele, like, you know, 
yeah, the elderly people were the primary customer we had when we bought the place. They'd come in and they'd sit and have their coffee and their eggs and their omelets and all that kind of stuff. And now young families are our new market for the market. Right. So, so it's just taken some time to get there, figuring things out, pivoting, you know, with the crisis like everyone else has, and then continuing to work on it every single day, not so much in it, systemizing, hiring, you know, and, and, you know, leading by example is so important and recognizing potential in people that can be future managers of this place. And then the big picture that I didn't even mention is I didn't buy just a single property because it had potential as a single property. We saw it as an expandable brand to take this market concept and go into outlying communities once we built that brand. So that's really the big picture. But right now we're just getting through COVID. We're building out a new market. And then once COVID's over and this is rocking and rolling, then we'll go bang, 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 bang and open multiple locations. But, you know, it's all about inspiration and it's about, you know, figuring stuff out step by step, trying to make good calculated decisions and taking the temperature of the room, like you said a minute ago. That's absolutely true. Well, and through your podcast, you've gotten the opportunity to talk to really brilliant people, especially over the last 90 days through COVID. Can you walk yes. me through some of the uh, lessons learned from these folks over the course of the last 90 days? Yeah, one of my absolute favorite episodes, I interviewed the chief culinary officer of the Cheesecake Factory. His name is Mr. Donald Moore. And fascinating in that, you know, Cheesecake Factory is arguably one of the more successful chains out there, large chains. Started from humble beginnings, but now they've got hundreds of locations around the world. Not that I've, I've eaten in them around the world. I've probably eaten in eight or ten of their locations in this country, but it's always been a fun experience. My kids love it. The service has always been exemplary. Uh, the wow factor of the spaces when you walk in, they're dynamic-looking restaurants, you know, really beautifully built-out spaces. The cheesecake knocks you out because that's such a marketing hook when you walk in the door, right? There's that merchandising display case that has like 300 cheesecakes in it, and you wouldn't know which one to pick because they all sound unbelievable. So that's a marketing genius idea in and of itself. And the, and the extensiveness of the menu, it's like a 20-page menu, and it's like how they possibly prep all this food in advance and move all that merchandise and inventory all that stuff and prepare it all with a reasonable ticket time just blew my mind. So all this stuff came across in my interview with Donald Moore, but what really fascinated me the most, what really stuck was their philosophy, his philosophy about staff, which is the foundation of the business. And his example, of course, is lead by example, develop your team, and then promote from within. And that has been a huge success factor for the Cheesecake Factory. I absolutely buy into that because that's how I built my business. It's really about the foundation of, of your business, which is your staff. And if you lead by example, you nurture them, develop them, recognize and reward them, and then you know give them autonomy, empower them. There's no, there's no stopping where that business can go. And, and I got, and that came, you know, that came really clear through my interview um, with Donald Moore. So that was one example for sure. Right on. Uh, what is the most inspirational story you've heard through COVID? Well, I see inspiration every day in that this industry has really, really rallied together. You know, and I interviewed a gentleman named Sean Weisbart, and he's an attorney in New York City, and he has partnered with some of the leading chefs, you know, arguably around the world, you know, like Daniel Baloud and Danny Meyer from Union Square Hospitality Group. 
And all of these leading chefs put together a 5013C nonprofit where they're raising funds to benefit the workers of this industry that have been displaced through COVID and all of that. So that was incredibly inspiring. I've interviewed lots of technology companies that have offered months and months of free service so that you use this technology such as online ordering systems or whatever it is to help you pivot your business and then, you know, once this whole thing is over, then hopefully you'll maintain your, your customer status with these companies. But so much of this industry has reached out and helped out others, even though they're going through the similar challenges, the similar pain. So that is, you know, that continues to inspire every day. Everyone's doing something to help. And there's so much passion in this business that I don't need to tell you about that it just, you know, it just comes loud and clear. Like this is an industry that cares. This is a resilient industry that will bounce back no matter how devastating the crisis has been. Billions and billions in lost sales in this industry. And yes, it is about survival of the fittest and not everyone will make it, but a lot more are going to make it based on you know, that passion and that conviction to succeed and not to give up, you know, not to walk away and throw in the towel because this industry is rallying together to help those that are downtrodden and afflicted by, by COVID. So all that inspires me, you know, and I get to talk to these people every single week and, and learn from them and, and share the message to our audience. What are you most excited about in the coming months? More guests. And well, I love interviewing new guests and I'm fortunate in that we've been doing this for so long. I mean, we have 209 episodes, 210 episodes of the last few years. And so, you know, leading public relations companies routinely contact me and suggest really dynamic guests for the podcast. It makes it really easy. But what I'm really excited about, and I, and I can't give you too many of the details, but I will tell you what I'm excited about. So my original product with Restaurant Rockstars was the staff training system that I call Sales Stars. And Sales Stars does a couple of things. It builds the dream team staff that I talked about. And it also, it conditions the staff to recognize opportunity. Um, every table, every time. It's suggestive selling. It's delivering amazing dining experiences through superior product and restaurant knowledge and training your staff to become brands within your restaurant brand. That's what it does really well. And in so doing, your customers become raving fans of the restaurant, but more importantly, raving fans of the service front of house team that serve them. So it trains your staff to organically and naturally make friends with their customers every single day. And that leads to amazing online reviews and amazing service experiences and repeat business and new business. And I can't tell you the amazing things that it does. And I've been thinking that it needs an upgrade because right now it's a video training series that I narrate and it's, and it's, it's turnkey and easy to use and user-friendly and all that kind of stuff. And it literally doubles check averages in restaurants and does all the things I said it does. But now millennials are the number one, you know, workforce in the hospitality industry right now. And these people are constantly on their phones, of course. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could suddenly turn sales stars into this interactive app, a mobile app where the manager in a restaurant could assign each module to a staff person, be able to know that they've completed it, that they've completed a test of knowledge before they could advance to the next module. He could conduct pre-shift exercises through this app. And then even better, you can then compare sales performance in one single location or even you know 20 or 30 or more locations if you're a district manager 
by saying this training system is doing a couple of things. It's building longevity of staff. It's training staff to recognize opportunity and sell more product as opposed to being order takers. And then, you know, now we can compare sales performance and see which locations are performing or who are the top performers in each. And then the manager can address, okay, Sal, you're on top of the world here. You know, you're consistently selling everything. You're suggesting your customers love you. You're getting great reviews. And then someone else isn't quite up to that level. Now you can work with them on a one-on-one basis through the app to get them up to speed so that everybody is at that level. That's a powerful thing. So I've been approaching software companies in the hospitality industry, and I've had some really strong interest. And so we're working on how we can develop this into that app, because I think that has global potential. And then you can transform that content into multiple languages around the world. And it's all about service and hospitality. That's what drives our business. So I'm most excited about that opportunity coming and what we can do to elevate the service experience in restaurants, not just in this country, but literally globally. That's very cool, man. Oh, thank you. At the conclusion of every episode, what I like to do is I like to offer the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the industry since it is an industry podcast. Is there anything you would like to say to the people listening? Yes, I don't want anyone to lose heart during this challenge. Um, I did mention that we're passionate, we're resilient people, but we really do have to dig deep. We have to reach out for the resources that are available to help, whether that be your banker, your lender, because as of this uh, recording, I understand through my contacts that there are still PPP funds available for those who missed out on rounds one and two. There are still IDA loans available. The loans that have benefited my business and my company are still available to you out there to help you transform your business, to get you through this crisis. Reach out to anyone in the industry who is a mentor or anyone who is a colleague. If you need help, the resources are there. Listen to podcasts, whether that be my podcast or other industry podcasts or your show, Joshua. There's so much help and resources. But again, now is the time to work on your business so that you don't just survive this thing, but you come out the other side with systems in place that'll make your business what I call bulletproof. And that is more powerful and more profitable than ever before. But underlying all of that, of course, is the foundation, your team. You can't do it alone. You can't do it without your team. So lead by example, nurture your good people, develop them, recognize and reward them, and then promote them. And that's your exit strategy. That's Roger Bodwin. To learn more about Roger and his companies, go to restaurantrockstars.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.